Greetings and happy Krampusnacht. It's Krampusnacht. <laughs> Krampusnacht. <laughs> Krampusnacht. Uh, December 5th is technically Krampusnacht, and I did that little, that little like 10 minute episode on, Krampu- on Krampus. It's exciting, okay? Anyway, uh, I have my guest host again. I, ha- I have April. Say hi, April. Hello. That's April. And she is my horror movie buff that will be, will be telling us horror movie stuff about the horror-related things that we discuss in this episode, which is actually about man-made monsters. Yeah. We it, make them. Humans make these. And I believe, I believe that the reason that man-made monsters are so fucking terrifying when you think about them is because there's something scary about the fact that we can do it, that we can make a monster, theoretically, and because we still don't really understand why humans are the way that we are, the idea of thrusting consciousness onto something mostly human makes us think about who we could be or what we might be if we didn't have our own sense of, like, humanity, you know, the humanity that is taught to us in childhood from nurture ways, like with parents and whatnot. And so, like, our sense of right and wrong and our understanding of how our needs and seeking out resolutions to our needs affects those around us. If we didn't have that, then there's no saying that we would not be basically the same as these weird sci-fi freaks. Like Frankenstein, and the Wasp Woman, and, uh, honestly, the Blob. Did you guys ever watch the Blob? April, have you seen the Blob? Yeah, I've seen the Blob, but I don't think the Blob was necessarily man-made. The Blob is from space. A a meteor falls from the sky and has, like, this weird glowing matter in it, and these people go to investigate it because they're like, holy shit, a comet. Let's go check this out. It just, it hit over here. And they go and investigate it, and it's a glowing rock, and then the goo, essentially, from this rock absorbs them, eats them, and becomes bigger and stronger and meaner. And then it just... I don't know how, like, it doesn't walk and it doesn't roll. It just blobs. It bloops. It bloops away. And the more that it consumes, the bigger, scarier, and gnarlier it gets. But uh, we didn't make that one. It fell from the sky. We stumbled upon it and we poked it with a okay. stick and it went badly for us. A lot like the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff. <laughs> the stuff was the really stuff, good. The blob. But we didn't make those. Okay. okay. We did not make those. But on a wholesome note, we did make flubber. Oh, yes. We did make flubber, I which love is flubber. like a more pleasant blob, and it's your buddy and helps you win basketball games. I mean, it's technically <laughs> cheating, but it's wholesome. So we did make the wholesome cheating at basketball blob. That's very, I forgot about flubber. I loved that so much. I was really into basketball as a kid, and The Blob was the only horror movie that didn't scare me to death, so I liked to watch The Blob and all of the basketball films, so Flubber was just my shit. He was just the green version of The Blob who didn't eat you. It was a nice blob. (laughs) 
So there are several different types of man-made monsters, as it turns out. Uh, didn't even occur to me until we started working on this episode, but man-made monsters can fall into so many different categories. Um, there's the chemically made, for example, uh, which includes Mr. Hyde, which I'm going to rant about, by the way. Um, the Toxic Avenger, which I still think is the best love story. And, uh, honestly, even the Joker from Batman. And there are experimental monsters. Oh my god, a dog just, like, shoulder-checked the door. door. (laughs) Hang on, I'm gonna pause just in case. Ahem. Dogs, Dogs have been rounded up. I think. I've done my best. <laughs> We've made progress. Attempts were made. Okay, and then there's the experimental kinds, which uh, are monsters that came about from a smart boy kind of flying too close to the sun, like Frankenstein and his monster, the fly, the reanimator, and wasp woman. And then there are also the types of monster- monsters that are born from man's side effects, like nuclear beasts, like Godzilla. I fucking love Godzilla. There's also a couple of of surgical ones, like the human centipede. Oh my god. I don't know what his intentions were with that, but it's not, I mean, it's kind of experimental, except he's not using chemicals, so it's a whole different form of experimental because he's just sewing people together just, you know, butthole to mouth and making weird creatures. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's what Tusk is as well yeah. as another surgical yeah. <laughs> example of a man-made monster. Because, again, I don't know that they're injecting them with drugs or side effects or doing like... He does in Tusk. He does do that? Okay, yeah, he sedates him. Well, I didn't mean sedation. I meant more along the lines of like oh. in the... In, in Wasp Woman, they're experimenting with chemical compounds, and it has a bad side effect, whereas these other ones, it's they're just willy-nilly kind of sewing stuff together to create... I, th- I guess they thought it was going to be good. For them, it's their jam, <laughs> not so much mine. In like... Tusk, he wants to fuck a walrus. Okay, see, they... So he turns the man into the walrus because he wants his lover. Okay, well, that's... Because he fell in love with a walrus while he was out sailing the seven seas. And his entire life since coming back to land, he just missed that walrus. So he found the lad and he turned him into the walrus. So he had himself an erotica version of Moby Dick and just yeah. kind of went, went with it. Okay. okay. It was really upsetting. I, okay. I do not like that kind of body horror. It fucks with me. Yeah. <laughs> Those are weird. I don't know how many examples there are for that, but technically there are surgical man-made monsters, and, you know, it's hard to say if, like, it's just a monster because it's grotesque, or if their, like, intention at the end of it was to create some sort of weapon or monster that they could use for their own benefit or world domination. Like, I don't know what these people are thinking, but they're doing weird surgical experiments (laughs) for some reason, and, you know, they're bad dudes, so it's probably for a bad reason. That's kind of a good point, because, like, define monster. Because a lot of the ones that we're going to talk about are technically, at least mostly, in human form. And so, 
for one example, the Joker, he's a human. Yeah. He's just a giant piece of shit. Yeah, and and it was the was the whole fallen in that vat of chemicals that made him that way and probably wonked his brain a little bit. So he does monstrous things. And that's what makes him a monster. Yes. And then there are other critters that are not not quite human in form. No, but we'll... But don't actually do the most monstrous shit. They just look that way. Like Toxic Avenger. Yeah. He does look monstrous, but he's he's a real good dude. Yeah. He's got that hot girlfriend. Yeah, he's a superhero, technically. Yeah. yeah. So, it begs the question, what is a monster? And if we're going off, like behavior or appearance i think and for most of this episode it's about behavior i think so too. rather than appearance it's it's the behavior that makes you a monster not the appearance and there's like there's like that one dude from like the fantastic four who's like a giant oh the rock dude yeah yeah that, he well, looks like a monster well, he's a good he's a solid feller if you're gonna go there technically the incredible hulk is also a monster yeah, but he's like a weird take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, so... He is! Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So, one of, one of my favorite uh, chemically made, human-made monsters is Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde falls into a really cool and specific category of man-made monsters, because in this case... It's intentional and done to the self. And the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is ab- my absolute favorite story of all time. I, I literally keep uh, a little book of it next to my bed, j- just in case I dare feel like reading it at any time. I reread it constantly. It's, it's, it's a weird obsession I have. And I first learned of it because I watched The Page Master as a kid. Uh, not gonna lie, that movie tried to make nerds of us all, but goddammit, it is so good, and I do have a copy of The Page Master on Why DVD. Why does that sound so familiar? You've, you've got one on me here that I am drawing a blank on. Oh, what is The Page Master? Please tell me. I don't think it's Disney, but it was something like that in the early 90s, and I think... Oh, what's the name of the kid from Home Alone? I oh, think Macaulay it was Hulkin? I think it was him. What? And then ha- uh All right, hold on. I'm going to do a little I'm going to I'm going to do a little Google search here real real quick like He hangs out in the library because he's a lonely nerd kid and he ends up It in is this, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> he ends up in a fantasy world of all of these book characters. Yeah, and, okay. And Jekyll and Hyde was fucking terrifying. Oh my god, I okay, I have seen that, and I do, because he has the little fairy godmother book thing. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about this movie. It's so good. Okay. I have it. Let's watch it. We should. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll watch it later. But there's a little scene in it where he, like, finally stumbles into a warm, firelit uh, little library place with a comfy, comfy chair and whatever, and he's like, oh, oh, thank god, uh, sir, can you help me? And he's like an old science man and he's like oh yes i can help you here's some tea and then he like leans over into the fire pit and then he leans over and he's like i'm mr hyde and he has these giant fucking claws uh, and the kid's like oh fuck and hell you know, no do you know who played mr hyde 
<laughs> well, I don't know if it's Mr. Hyde, but I imagine you'd play in both of them. Leonard Nimoy. Oh my god! Yeah, this is an all-star cast here. Is it... <laughs> Patrick Stewart, Leonard Nimoy, Christopher Lloyd. Oh my god. We're gonna have to rewatch this for sure. It's so good. I saw it for like $5.99 at a the checkout area of like a dollar general or something a couple months ago and i was like uh uh-huh yeah page yeah page master yes anyway (laughs) turn the page on this ah 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 ah. see what you did nerd (laughs) okay anyway in the story of um the the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde written by Robert Louis Stevenson. There's a scrawny nerd man who basically just hates who he is. He is a small and weak and scared little man, but in his head he has all of these negative thoughts, and he obsesses over violent acts and imagines himself killing people and beating people and just generally doing terrible things. So in here, there is a narrative that he both hates the fact that he considers himself weak and wishes that he were strong and formidable, but also he knows somewhere deep down that it is wrong to feel so violent. So he's struggling to suppress these violent thoughts and feelings because they're, you know, wrong and bad. So this nerd-ass bitch uses his science brain to create a potion that he drinks to separate this violent, mean, gnarly side of himself from his body so that he can exist in his little non-problematic nerdy self and that mean, angry side of him can have its own body and he won't have to be burdened with it. The result of this is Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde, who is, uh, who Dr. Jekyll becomes when he drinks this potion, Uh, He is the pure embodiment of all of the pain, anger, and sorrow that little old Dr. Jekyll has felt his whole life and fought to suppress. So when he drinks this potion and becomes this Mr. Hyde, he runs around the streets of London literally trampling women to death in the fog or beating random passers-by to death with a cane like god dang Preston Brooks. Uh, a little Civil War history joke there. Uh, anyone gets that? Uh, eventually, Dr. Jekyll begins to enjoy becoming his evil twin whenever he wants, because, like I said, this fucking nerd hates himself, and he wishes he had the balls, so he starts changing more and more often, like an alcoholic. Then, eventually... He gets to suffer the moral dilemma of, oh god, oh no, what have I done? I keep killing people. And he is found dead in his laboratory behind his house, I think half-transformed. Or at least wearing the clothes of one while in the body of the other, you know what I mean? And this is an example of man's hubris, but at the same time it's a story of self-hate. And repression. And a solid fucking example of why we need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always found it very beautiful in a grotesque kind of way, because in his struggle to force himself to be what he thought he was supposed to be, he accidentally turned himself into a fucking monster. And that's cool as fuck, because everyone should hear this and know that it's okay to be having negative thoughts. It's okay to be pissed off. 
It's okay to feel wronged by this terrible world, and if we fucking repress all of that and treat ourselves like we're full of shit about it, it's gonna come out in weird ways, and we're gonna act like assholes. You got anything? Very good. <laughs> so, another type of monster that humans tend to make is, I would put it into the category of experimental. Like, not, not quite chemical like the other ones, but experimental. He's just doing weird shit. You know, sewing people together. Do, it's for science. Messing, messing with science for your own purposes. Yeah, you're, you're sciencing a bitch together. And examples of this type of creature would be uh, Frankenstein, the fly, the Wasp reanimator. Woman. And Wasp Woman. Wasp Woman's a fun one. Wasp Woman, have you, have you seen Wasp Woman? I have not. Oh my goodness. Wasp Woman's another one of those great movies from back in the uh, the late 50s, early 60s, which are just, just all around gems. They're wonderful. So the Wasp Woman is um, an aging woman, and she's not aging by any means, but this is the late 50s, so she happens to be pushing 40 or so, and she's no longer being featured on the covers of the magazines, but she owns this cosmetic company. She can do whatever she wants, but she doesn't have the right look anymore. They want younger, prettier. So she's feeling very self-conscious about herself, and she enlists the help of a scientist who is experimenting on bees or wasps. I'm not sure if they differ in the story if they just interchange which one it is but the movie's called wasp woman so i believe it is indeed wasp but um they are experimenting with chemical compounds and the pollen or venom wasps don't create venom do they they do they do so it might be the venom either way they are experimenting on the, the queen, the wasp, and they have found a rejuvenation potion through their experiments. So she volunteers to be the test subject for this. It is supposed to not only stop, but reverse the aging process on this. Now, she is the very first one to do any of this. The first trial goes really well. Her wrinkles go away. She's looking beautiful. She's feeling rejuvenated. And then... She does the thing that everyone does, which is they don't want to have their cool off period between their doses. So she says, give me more, give me more sooner. And she's advised against it. She ignores it. And then what happens? She turns into a half wasp lady and she just starts willy nilly <laughs> murdering everybody who gets in her way because wasp, I don't know if you guys know this, wasp are angry creatures. So it only makes sense that now she is also an angry creature. But... You know, we're experimenting for science. Sometimes it goes good. I'm not exactly sure when, but I'm sure there's a story somewhere where it goes good. <laughs> in this case, not 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 so good. Not so good. I was trying to look up, like, uh, if there are certain types of people she was angry with or anything. But no, it looks like she just kills everyone. I think it's just like, her coworkers. How dare you be near me? I'm pretty sure she has, like, a younger, more attractive woman who works in her office. There are Obviously, the men, you kill her. There are the men in the office and a bunch of people who are like, Hey, you're acting a little bit funny. Maybe you shouldn't be doing these experiments. And she's like, get fucked. I'm going to be beautiful. And then she just rages out and murders them. <laughs> <laughs> in a waspy rage it's just it's beautiful you know 
Who says women don't belong in the STEM fields? <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> so that's the wasp woman. Um, and then also, uh, you're going to have to hear me freak the fuck out about Frankenstein now. So I hope that you are ready for that. Because I have a lot to say about Frankenstein, my favorite patchwork bimbo. Uh, it's the br the bride of Frankenstein would be the bimbo, wouldn't himbo. it? Or, or you... Himbo. Oh, a himbo. Patrick Himbo. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you found Frankenstein attractive. Was it his cat? I do. It... I do find him attractive. Is it his but shoulders? It's, but it's the fact that he only... It's that he's seeking affirmation. And I've got so much affirmation to give. If someone really needs some affirmation, come at me. And that's all that's all Frankenstein is. Is he's a his monster, he's just like running around, he doesn't know nothing. I'll tell you about it. Okay. Uh so I wanna go deeper into detail about Frankenstein and the reanimator when we get to the second episode about reanimation. Uh, but if we're talking about man-made monsters, these two need to have their well-deserved spot in the lineup, no matter what, you know. Especially Frankenstein, because I feel like he's the quintessential man-made monster. Like, if someone came up to you on the street and was like, Hey, bitch, tell me a man-made monster. I, I would I would probably say Frankenstein. I would I I would be, uh, I would say Frank oh Frankenstein exactly, and then you'd be like what what just happened what? why and, yeah, <laughs> and you scurry away with with your information exactly that's, we got to talk about Frankenstein, and I, I mean that's what I would do. Uh, so Frankenstein has always been one of my favorite stories. I actually have. Two copies of the novel, a copy of the script from the film, and the film on DVD. I'm basically a Mary Shelley fangirl. Did, did you know that she has a collection of oddities? She likes to keep human remains? I did, did not know. Like, yeah, she, she was a weird... She was the original goth bitch, I'm pretty she sure. She was uh, attributed with writing either the first or one of the first sci-fi novels she i love her i would yeah, i would go bad, back in time and bitch. marry that bitch she's a bad bitch spooky, spooky and, I, and i like me some spooky bitches don't we all who doesn't okay okay um what was i talking about frankenstein uh, oh yeah uh uh obviously I love Frankenstein because spooky, but there's something else to the story that made me get obsessed with it. And I think I first read it in high school because I was dating someone who was very, very bad at school. And he was a senior and I was like a sophomore or something, but I wanted to, to graduate and he was not likely to graduate. Uh, burp. Okay. So I did all of his English homework for him. <laughs> it's normal to belch. It's normal too. <laughs> I was doing all of his schoolwork um, for him, and it was in his shit that he had to do. So I read Frankenstein, and I wrote his book report thing for him. 
And I never actually had a proper senior year, so I'm honestly glad that I did that because that's how I got to read a lot of cool-ass books. Uh, the Outsiders? Yes. The Crucible? Yes. Hell yeah. Anyway, Frankenstein grabbed me by the ass cheeks, basically. And it wasn't until I reread it the last time, I think this last winter, when it occurred to me why it was my favorite story. Or among my favorite stories. So, there's... In the novel, there is an overwhelming sense of longing. The whole story is pretty much told through letters between the main character and his loved ones, and you can feel the way that they miss each other, and you can feel the way that Victor Frankenstein's regret devours him. As, as he tries to go about living, you can feel the way that it is chewing through him and decaying his soul the entire way. It's so good. Like, you can, it's, I don't know if this is supposed to be super relatable or not, but boy golly, I'm into it. And so, Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, thought that he had uncovered the key to what life is, with, with air quotes, life, the concept of life, the consciousness, the whole soul thing, you know and had deduced that it was basically electricity. And that conscience and just life itself occurred because of electrical impulses. This, to me, is very similar to religion. I mean, I don't want to get weird, but if we're talking about it, humans have been completely obsessed with finding some answer or some explanation for exactly what life is and why we are alive in the first place. And I've been a little bit obsessed my entire life with figuring out why we've been obsessed with figuring out our why. So this is my shit. And this constant all-encompassing obsession with understanding why and how we are even here is what has led to just about every significant and in insignificant exercise of thought and philosophical or scientific inquiry in human history. It's why we thought of gods, ghosts, and afterlife, why we came up with ideas about enlightenment and meditation, even ideas surrounding morality. In my opinion, and much like the creation of gods, Victor Frankenstein, in his search for meaning and explanation, created his monster. So much like many other monsters we're talking about, he is an example of destruction and chaos brought on by the hubris of man, playing God because he's fixated on understanding the big stinky old why. Now, did you have any, any comments? No. No. I got a little fixated there on... Uh on the immortality part of we're always trying to extend our life. And I feel like we're doing that. So we have more time to ask the same old silly question. 
why over and over because you know 80 to 100 years isn't long enough so we better go ahead and solve this death problem so that we can ask why for 50 more fucking useless years exactly so I, got, I, I got a little sidetracked there for a second thinking about that uh it's not really adding anything but that's where i went no for real that's where i went there I, for a minute i agree <laughs> now aside from I really wish this would scroll down. Okay, there we go. Now, aside from my little tangent, um, the monster that Frankenstein <laughs> creates is a glorious imagining of what can happen. And honestly, while the monster itself isn't the main character, and you barely get its perspective throughout the story, you pay the, if you pay the right kind of attention, you can begin to sympathize with it. And it is forced into consciousness out of nowhere. And without guidance or the opportunity to grow and learn and develop, like, morality or, or to experience love, you know, that shit that every human needs in the early stages of life to not end up as a serial killer, he is just suddenly alive in a patchwork body, terrified and acting purely on fear and impulse. Oh, well, I think Dr. Frankenstein was hoping that his experiment would be successful in the way that when his monster woke up, it would be a fully functional being and that he wouldn't have to put in the time effort to to teach it. And unlike children where, you know, they're little and manageable, like this is a what six foot two bulky monster that can snap you in half. Like that's terrifying. I don't blame him for running away from it. Well, he wakes up one morning and the monster's gone. And he runs off to try to talk to someone and he comes back and it's completely gone. And he's like, okay, this is terrifying. The monster I've created is is just gone. So now I'm going to run away and I'm going to go home. You know what? I miss my cousin. I'm going to go home to my cousin. And he leaves and uh, he finds out that there is something strangling children in the woods. And he was like, oh, God, that's my monster. I have to go do something about this. Probably do something about that. <laughs> and so he heads back and he's like, fucking hell. He. The thing is, I think that he it didn't occur to him. So there's there's something about a, a scientific mind that is very different from a nurturing mind. There are two different kinds of people. And there are the people who know how to build a wiring harness. And then there are people who know how to hug a child. <laughs> and I know that there are people who can do both. But in this instance, I think it's like, he's the kind who knows numbers and doesn't understand human thought and human feeling. And he knows numbers and measurements, and he can he can sew a body together. So his can... numbers checked out, but he didn't have a way to uh, equate for human emotion. Yeah, he didn't know how to be a daddy. He, he needed put, to be a daddy. He just put the D variable in there for daddy and was like, "This equation will solve itself," <laughs> and it did not. I it put the not. I put the daddy in the numbers. Why? Why doesn't my monster see the daddy? <laughs> I 
basically, I think is the problem. And then he got scared of it. And I mean, don't make something that's going to kick your ass if you're not ready to stand up to it. And so, build a smaller, build a smaller, more manageable monster. There was no reason he couldn't have made a four foot eight monster. This is true. This he could have. Well, sometimes though, people, you know, will will build themselves what they think is going to be a manageable scientific experiment, and then it turns out to be unmanageable. Like, uh, like in Deep Blue Sea. Yes. In Deep Blue Sea, for some. For some fucking reason, they could have used anything, but for whatever reason, it worked best in the brain of a shark. And they are trying their damnedest to, you know, to cure Alzheimer's. And they're like, we're going to inject this compound into the brain of a shark. Because that's going to go just peachy-keyed. I have no idea. But then all you've done is made a super highly intelligent shark while you're living in the middle of the ocean. What could go wrong? You couldn't pick something more smaller and cuddlier, manageable. Maybe something without teeth. Like, I don't know. A fucking octopus. No, octopuses are really... They're very they're, smart. They're real smart. Why would, they you make, why would you want to make one smarter? We'd be living Honestly, with the octopus's overlords right now. But if you're trying to make something smart, yeah, but the octopus can come in and out of own... water. At least the shark is stuck in the water, so That's like true. you know they get points there. Got I'm no just, legs. I'm just saying a snail. Well, it doesn't. All right, they don't have they don't have a big enough brain to be able to be doing experiments on. I'm just saying if you're gonna be making monsters inadvertently through scientific experiments that you think are gonna better mankind pick something that you can keep a fucking handle on that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying something whose keep it ass manageable. i can kick. keep it manageable <laughs> you did. exactly so why did he make frankenstein his monster why did he make him so big and burly maybe that's how he saw himself i think so i think so I think he was self-rejecting. Macho, macho monster. <laughs> I want to be a macho monster. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. What was the last thing I said? I don't know. I got sidetracked about the uh, about the about the monster. <laughs> did, I, did I talk about how? Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I know. So, honestly. The monster itself not being the main character, uh, if you pay the right amount of attention, you can sympathize with it. Did I say that? I don't think so. Okay. So you end up as sympathizing with the monster as you read the story. And uh, that's because... Because... it From Brooklyn? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently... <laughs> It never got the chance to be natured or nurtured. Oh, that's what we were talking about. The the concept of uh, nature and nurture. There we go. And uh, they both play a part in who and what we become. And Frankenstein's monster never had the chance for any kind of nurturing experience. He just ended up existing at one point and was like, Ah... My body is in terrible pain. I'm very confused and terrified. So obviously he ran off and started strangling people. What would you do? What would you do? Probably that. Okay. The next type of man-made monster 
that I, I find worth discussing is the nuclear kind. Nuclear. 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 It's a um, nuclear? A new eclair <laughs> kind. But um, <laughs> that that's the type of monster that kind of is the result from man being a shithead, and it's the runoff. Like the uh, like atomic bombs or yeah. radiation, yeah, nuclear yeah. waste kind of stuff. And and then they're in, involved in that. Is there? There's Godzilla, who is mommy. Isn't me. uh, isn't Mothra also considered to be a nuclear monster? Yes, yes. So really, just any any big old monster. <laughs> Should be should be a small little size, and it turns out to be a big enormous size. Yeah, those are those are nuclear monsters. It's because the radiation runoff like gets into the water supply, or into the ocean for the case of Godzilla, and Godzilla is actually uh, originated as a sort of social and political commentary on the effects of nuclear waste in Japan. I can't stop burping while talking. While talking. <clears throat> anyway, and it eventually became apparent that Godzilla was mad at humans and wanted to save the Earth. But oh. when all of the other monsters started like popping up, like Mothra, and uh, oh, what was the other one? The big boy. There was a big nasty boy that. Okay. That uh, ended up evolving. That Godzilla had to fight, and Godzilla started fighting on behalf of the humans against these other monsters, because Godzilla realized that it wasn't necessarily all of humanity's fault, and it wasn't. Is it Ghidorah? Ghidorah. Is that who you're thinking of? Was he also a lizard type thing? A three-headed golden dragon. Yes. Yes. That, that fucking motherfucker. <laughs> so, that guy came about from the same, the same shit that made Godzilla. But he was pissed. And so he went about trying to destroy all of humanity because he blamed humanity for creating his miserable life. And that, I mean, that's, too, that's fair. That's fair. And Godzilla was like, oh no... No, um, maybe we don't kill literally everything. Maybe we stop bad stuff and try to preserve what is still good. I think Godzilla might be the only man-made monster or man-made nuclear monster that actually tries to save humanity. Because all of the old sci-fi movies from, I don't know, 50s, 60s, anything like that, just... Attack of the giant, and then insert your favorite animal here. In, yeah. in Attack of the giant leeches, crabs, you know, everything. They always end up being some sort of radioactive monster, and they just attack any human that they see. And Godzilla is the only one who apparently is like, you know what? They're okay. Yeah. They're okay. We're just going to kill some of them, not all of them. We need a little bit of them around. Most of the time when Godzilla kills people, it's an accident because he's got a big fat booty. He's like stomping around. He's got a big old booty. He's knocking, knocking structures down. It doesn't occur to him that there's families in there, you know? 
And, uh, oh, there was, uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. Never saw it. I saw the previews. That was enough for me. And you know what? I team, watched team it Godzilla, recently. So. And, um, yes, Team Godzilla. The entire time I was screaming, I was like, fuck you, King Kong. Fuck you, King Kong. You little bitch. Godzilla's going to kick your ass. Is, yeah. Is King Kong an example of a nuclear man-made monster? Oh, what I are King Kong's origins? I don't know how King Kong was made. We're going to have to pick this one up later. Maybe in a, a future episode we'll touch back we'll on this. We'll do a little, since, since l- little recap on little stuff that we uh, learned since the last one. But yeah, I don't know. Fuck you, King Kong. Godzilla's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In later movies, Godzilla helped humans against more destructive creatures because he just wanted everything to be okay. And that, I guess I already said that. Okay, now we're going to move on to magical man-made monsters. I'm moving my hands a lot, and I feel like that's funny. Okay, so one that I found especially interesting is the homunculus. I don't know if it's obvious or not, if you know me, but I got way deep into alchemy when I was about 19 years old. I don't know why I did that. That's for you. Um, And it has inarguably shaped my life. I blame Carl Jung, that absolute freak. Um, I was studying psychology and I found a book of his that tried to explain the correlations between alchemy, Eastern philosophy, and modern psychology. At the time, I mean, it was written in the 80s or early 90s, so obviously it's outdated. But that's what pulled me into the alchemy rabbit hole initially. At first, I was interested in the subject because Jung had drawn parallels between the old practice of alchemy and Eastern philosophical ideas of enlightenment. Like I said earlier, I've always been obsessed with the human obsession around the big why. I'm making finger quotes. There's there's a lot of of finger action going on there in the air. I'm moving my hands a lot. Uh, Now I forgot. Okay, so I went balls deep. Um, Now I've also been very interested in the idea of immortality. And while I do believe that the wish to be immortal is rooted in the fear of being forgotten, which I could absolutely rant about for a year straight, and I recognize that that's that that's why I want it, because don't you dare forget me, motherfucker. Um, I, I would like to be immortal, and especially back then when I got into the alchemy stuff. So what alchemy is best known for is the study and search for something called the Philosopher's Stone. Or the effort to create gold out of not gold. And that was literally never a thing. Never a thing. So historically, alchemy was the practice of natural medicine. It was the study and procedure of naturally of um, processing naturally occurring organic matter to produce and recreate 
certain chemicals that could be used to assist in the currently living human being. If that makes sense. <laughs> Finding and synthesizing helpful materials from plants and such to create medicine, essentially. Dante's Inferno says that oh, the alchemists that. <laughs> go to the seventh layer of hell. Just because just doing alchemy puts you in one of the deepest layers of hell. Um, apparently. <laughs> but a vast majority of majority of current modern medicine has old alchemy to thank for its existence. Because chemicals that occur naturally in plants are still used for medication in everything. We, we can't just make shit that doesn't already exist. We found literally everything in something that has already existed on the planet. And that's what the fucking alchemy was. Is it... Okay, now it's recording. <laughs> I stopped recording because I... I, I we got too many clickers going on over here and too many screens. I'm very confused all the time. There's like four different screens right here, and we're only using two of them, and we only have one clicker, so, you know, it gets a little messy at times. I don't know what I just said, but... <laughs> old alchemy uh, had a lot to do with astronomy as well. Like, it was said that you had to start making a certain alchemical product during certain phases of the moon, or while certain constellations were present in certain quadrants of the sky. So there was a lot of mysticism involved, and it was only the super nerds who engaged in this practice. So they used made-up symbols to write their notes. So only other super nerds in this specific practice could understand their experimental notes. And part of that was because uh, the fact that astronomy and astrology and whatever the fuck was involved in it, if anyone involved in the Catholic Church uh, noticed that they were doing anything to do with the moon, they were gonna get killed. But all they wanted to do was make people stop coughing. So they decided to make up their own set of symbols. Would you say the Catholic Church made them into monsters? Oh my god. Are they man-made monsters? <laughs> the alchemists themselves are man-made monsters. <laughs> From the view of the Catholic Church, I suppose, but literally anyone is. Fair, uh, fair. Carry on. I... I uh, uh, this is, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, aside from the practical reasons, like curing a cough and, um, helping menstrual cramps, oh no, um, the practical reasons for the study of alchemy, there was indeed an aspect rooted deeper in the mysticism. Uh, this is what the Philosopher's Stone is. The Philosopher's Stone is a metaphor for immortality or enlightenment, or reunion with the whole, uh, quintessence. Uh, it's, it's a word used to describe the way that one would join their own human soul with the soul of the universe. You know, 
It's some Eastern mysticism type of shit. You, you know what I mean. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this got misinterpreted over the years as being gold. Because people are fucking stupid. And obviously the most precious thing in the world is gold. Um, but no, it was finding and understanding the meaning of what existence is. Or gold. Or, or gold. And so we come to the homunculus. The homunculus is the most horrific result of an alchemist trying to find the key to life. Much like with Frankenstein, the alchemist obsesses over the question of what life is and takes it into their hands to try to recreate life. And the result is a monster. A homunculus is a vaguely human almost living being that results from a human's attempt to play god. They are usually described as not being formed correctly. Like they look weird in a way that upsets the eye. And while they are technically alive, they lack the necessary component of humanity. Well, what are they made out of? They're made of Okay. So, the whole thing with alchemy is like we know exactly what elements, compounds, blah, 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 exist in the human body. So the plan was to take all of those things, and there's no reason why if all of the elements of a human body are put together, then it wouldn't be a human. So humunculus isn't just going out like Frankenstein and grave robbing all the best pieces and sewing them together and just... Ba-ba-ba-bam, there he is. It's you're you're taking different minerals and herbs from yeah. from around you and popping them in in your bone. Scientifically building a human okay. body. Okay. But the only thing that science cannot explain is consciousness. Gotcha. So you can build a human body from shit that you find in rocks and plants. Technically, you can. Okay. And you can make flesh, and you can make bones, and you can build a human skeleton. But not consciousness. Yeah. You can't make it human. Even if you shoot it up with electricity, it still does not have a human consciousness. I see. And that's the weird thing. And so that's what's going on with the humunculus here. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, um, technically, it's a side effect it's like the the filthy runoff of them trying to find enlightenment. So they the idea was you need to recreate consciousness in order to figure out what your consciousness was. And because consciousness only exists in a body, you have to create a living body and therefore you can recreate the consciousness inside of it okay and the whole idea that they had was that they wanted their souls to continue to live on after their bodies died so they had to create in order to create the little uh, like bridge 
and connection to send a consciousness beyond the physical existence, they had to build also the human body. But, but like, not, not physically. Okay. So they're just forced into... Metaphorically. So they're just forced into existing as they are. They don't, they don't grow, they don't learn, they're just, there they are. Boom. That's what a homunculus is. Boom, here we are. Okay. It's a bad, stinky accident, and, uh... Well, thank you for the clarification there. Thank you for the (laughs) edumacation. I got, I got a little weird into the whole, uh, philosophy behind it, but there we go. Um... So, if an alchemist creates a homunculus, it's never going to be on purpose. And it's like a feral version of that alchemist's worst traits. They take on the unresolved traumas and animalistic reptile behaviors associated with their creator. So, and this makes them terrifying. In my opinion, not only are they a monument to the hubris of man, but they are born with their human creator's hate and fear and anxieties. And much like with Frankenstein's monster, they happen as an accident because someone thinks they're doing something cool. But really, that's an entire living, I guess, uh, define living. That's... I think that's my main point of this episode. Define living. Um, but they're like a, a living, moving, human-like body. And it just embodies like everything about its personality and everything that it does and thinks is just all the worst aspects of the person who made it. So that's freaky. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I want to be no. one. I want to be one. Closing thoughts <laughs> about man-made monsters. So there's no there's no real good way to to end the episode. So we're just gonna awkwardly do it with with these closing thoughts. Um, Mine are that man-made monsters, monsters uh, that are made by man. Wow, I just had a Charlie Day moment. (laughs) (laughs) Are just the side effects of humans playing God for, you know, because we can. Because we're trying to make our life longer. Because we're trying to add meaning to our lives. They are just the side effects of us playing God. That's that's what we got going on there. Seems about the case. And I think that it really ties into the human fear of mortality. Like people were scared of dying, for one. And but beyond that, we're also scared of the things about ourselves that we were told are bad. A lot of werewolf lore actually ties into this. Um, There are stories of people um, getting pelts and girders and stuff. They will wrap around themselves and and it will turn them into werewolves. And that's so they can. They're cosplaying monsters? 
basically it transforms them into a werewolf because they want to to release those bad negative impulses that they feel in their day-to-day life like there's some fucking nerd ass 40 year old dude living on a homestead (laughs) he hates his fucking wife because she's a bitch and all she does is whine and his kids are pieces of shit and all he thinks about is beating them but he doesn't he doesn't beat them so he goes out in the woods and he puts this pelt on and then he runs wild through the forest, howling, and he kills a, he rips a deer's throat out once a month. Whatever you gotta do to get through your day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think that a lot of, a lot of these man-made monsters, um, kind of symbolize that or reflect that in some way. The fact that humans, like, we aren't nice. We're a bunch of assholes. And we know that, and we know that we can't be assholes. And sometimes we're like, oh no, I better not be an asshole. I, I don't know, you can't see me, but I'm like, I'm brushing. She's brushing herself I'm off. Bru- I'm brushing my shoulders and my forearms. Off. <laughs> I'm brushing my asshole. <laughs> like, I can't be mean, I gotta be a right proper motherfucker. I gotta be right proper. Like Dr. Jekyll. Oh, well, we already talked about Dr. Jekyll. This, you're, you're, you're. I'm cycling. You're, you're cycling. You're spiraling. You're spiraling. You're trying to. <laughs> you're moving a pen in a circle around me. <laughs> like I'm a dog. How dare you. How dare you. Well, these were the very exasperated uh, closing thoughts of oh, yeah. our show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked. We, got, we, we got talked a lot longer. We got sidetracked a little bit here than planned. Um, but if you have thoughts, you know, please, please let us know, or rather, let uh, Ali Alchemy here let let her know, and then she'll let me know, and then we'll let you know. It's you see, it's a trifecta here. So you gotta you gotta let us know or her know so that I can know, and uh, yeah. There's a comment section. Yeah, and comment. I and I also got a. I got a Patreon. You can talk on there. And an email. Fucking interact with me, you bastard. Yeah, give us some feedback before we become monsters. Fuck off, nerd. If we learned anything, neglect <laughs> is what creates monsters. So, you know, if you don't want to feel responsible, we need just go that. ahead and hit that uh, hit the little email button there. Give us some feedback. We need to be nurtured. <laughs>